you. Okay, she got me. Hey everyone, I'm Ashley. Um, my husband and I and our two kids have been at Hope for about 10 years, nine or 10 years, um, but we've been in Charlotte for about 23. Um, and the last three or four years, I've had the privilege of serving as a women's shepherd at South End. Um, and when I'm not at home, um, doing wife, mother, all those sorts of things, um, I'm painting or I'm running or I'm running to paint. I feel like I'm always like running to the next thing. So even now, even when my kids are older, I've got um, my son's in college um, and he's a sophomore and my daughter's a junior at Myers Park. Um, so I'm gonna take about a minute before we get started and we're gonna quiet our hearts. And um, um, let me pray for us before we do that. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for um, the way you show up in it. Thank you for the way that you show us in our hearts. Uh, ask for um, your quiet, your peace. And I ask um, for yourself to be here and to be in our midst. Um, just give us a moment now, Lord, to settle our hearts and to be with you. Okay, um, I'm going to read John 11, 20 through 29. Um, this is a really long passage, and I chose kind of the first part of it, but we'll kind of go back a little bit and move forward a little bit in it too. So I chose the middle. Starting in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. So pick out a word or phrase that might have kind of stuck out in this first reading. So the second time that we go through this, I want you to kind of find yourself in the passage. What do you notice, feel, experience? Um, Just imagine yourself there. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. This last time that I read it through, I want y'all to think about um, how you experience Jesus um, in the passage. Mm-hmm. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said to him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. So um, I'm sure that most of us are pretty familiar um, with this chapter in John. Um, ironically, I think one of the reasons I picked it, too, is because um, I chose it to write um, a paper in college. So it's always been a passage that's been near and dear to me. But the reason I chose it was because the day that I showed up to class, I was supposed to have my verse in mind. It was a class on John. And the only thing I could remember was Jesus wept <laughs> at the top of my head. So it expanded from there because that's a very short verse. But um, anyway, I don't want to, um, we're not going to focus so much on the raising of Lazarus, but we're going to focus a lot more on his interactions with Mary and Martha and how he enters into our grief um, and their grief individually and collectively and what he promises them, not just as a friend, but as the Messiah. So before we look at how he comforts his sis- the sisters, I want to peek at the preceding verses to get a sense at what's happening with, John, or with Jesus and the disciples. In John 11.1, 1, Martha and Mary have sent word to Jesus that his friend, the one he loves, Lazarus, is sick. We have the benefit of being familiar with Mary and Martha, it's, in fact, sometimes I feel like they're old friends. Um, they've been already, or Jesus has already been a guest in their home, and we have a sense of their personalities from the passage in Luke. And I think Alex spoke about that um, back in the fall. But in overly simplified terms, we've identified Martha as a doer and Mary as a beer. Um, Martha feels pulled to be hospitable when Jesus visits, but Mary feels most comfortable seated at his feet, fully experiencing his hospitality. So Jesus' reaction to this news from the sisters is a bit unusual. He waits before he feels called to action. But he shares this purpose with his friends in verse 4, when he says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then he follows that by, Let us go back to Judea. But this is troubling for his friends. Um, Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem, and the last time that they were in Jerusalem, he was almost stoned to death by the Jews who felt threatened by his teaching. So in the disciples' minds, they want to avoid Bethany at all costs. Jesus goes on to explain that Lazarus has fallen asleep, which is a phrase that is also confusing to the disciples because they think that he's, or Lazarus is fatigued. Um, 
But he explains that they will experience with him in Bethany um, something that will shape their beliefs moving forward. So I want you to imagine those days with Mary and Martha um, as they were caring for Lazarus. When my own children are sick, I feel anxious for their fevers to go down. Even even this year, um, with my son being 20 and being away, there's that sense of um, what can I do to make this better? Um, And a lot of us know it's out of our control. Um, But you feel anxious, and a lot of times that comes with work, whether that's fixing them the right snacks or grabbing blankets, anything to make them feel comfortable. And so there's also this element on, along with the work of waiting to see what will happen. So things must have grown pretty desperate with Martha and Mary. They had sent word to Jesus, their friend, the one they both thought would have power to heal. And with each passing day, I imagine their worry was growing more and more. And then at his death, the disappointment must have been unbearable. Here's where we pick up the story. Um, Lazarus has been in the tomb for two days, and Martha meets Jesus at the gate. And her response, true to what we learn, have learned about Mary, is filled with worry and distraction. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I feel like the sentence can be read with all sorts of emotion and all sorts of inflection, but the meaning still stays the same. Um, This phrase encapsulates our human response to the problem of pain. Lord, I am worrying, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, I'm grieving, I'm heartbroken. Where are you? And where have you been? Have you experienced this? Um, Or a better question is, when have you experienced this? I would venture to say that there's not a single person in this room who is list, or is listening to the recording, who has not experienced loss, either with a capital L or a lowercase l. We are not immune to pain. And if we're honest, pain can be one of the biggest roadblocks to our faith. In our pain, there is a deep longing, a longing for God to notice, to care enough to act on our behalf, and to make it better, whether it's healing in a sickness or restoring a relationship. In our limited human experience, pain feels like a problem to be solved. But as Flannery O'Connor writes, it is better explained as a mystery to be endured. But the level of endurance we need to sustain during moments of questioning and loss can feel really overwhelming. For many of us, it's the belief help my unbelief equation. It's the battle between the reality of our own vulnerability and our hope for a God who can be trusted. So how do we live in this tension? How do we open ourselves to suffering and hope in a God who is capable but doesn't always conform to our timing or to our plans? So from this passage, I want us to look at three different things um, when Jesus meets both Martha and Mary. I want to look at how he shows up for them in their sorrow, how he weeps with them and enters into their vulnerability, and how he reveals himself to them in a very personal way. So Jesus comes to Bethany. Yes, he's a few days behind, but he has already revealed his plans to his friends and to us, the readers. So I was struck 
head on by Jesus's initial encounter with Martha. We experience at a gut level her urgency and her honesty. And I've always related to Martha. Um, My thoughts and worries move at hyperspeed during times of stress. So now think about the household that she just left. So the house that she's been in while she's been caring for Lazarus um, with her sister. Um, It's filled now with mourners. And um, they've come to comfort. And in that time, yes, family and friends would come. But there was also a Hebrew, Hebrew tradition where even the poorest in Israel should hire no less than two flutes and one wailing woman. So it says that the household is filled with many mourners. So we can also imagine that they're a wealthy household and have filled it to the brim with all of these people who are emoting. Probably I mean, wailing feels very different um, than weeping at this point. So if I put myself in that home and in that space, the theoretical wailing woman and flute players um, in my already chaotic mind and swirling thoughts would have made me do exactly what Martha did, which was run right to the edge of the village to meet Jesus. Um, And guess what would have been the first thing out of my mouth? A complaint. Um, Lord, where have you been? Um, Martha is completely honest with her emotion and her longing. She recognizes that Jesus' timing was not her own and that her agenda, the healing of her brother, was not met. And how utterly human is that? By nature, we are impatient. And I love that we are getting ready to study Exodus because there's no better place to see impatience and complaint than through the Israelites and their wandering. But Martha worried herself to the point, while she worried herself to the point of complaint. I love what comes next. Martha says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Here we see her unbelief, her her sadness, her disappointment, um, her fears. But they're tempered by her belief in Jesus, a man she trusts as her friend, but who will reveal himself as so much more. So we're going to leave Martha just for a minute and look um, at now at his interaction with Mary. And in true Mary fashion, she has remained seated with the mourners in her home. So Martha returns to her house to call Mary and tell her of Jesus's arrival. The teacher is here and asking for you. I have looked at this passage so many times in the last 30 years and never caught this. She calls him teacher, and I don't want you to miss this. Up to this point, she's been calling Jesus Lord, which is a name that they use for people in authority or for a title of respect. But here she calls Jesus teacher. This is significant. Teachers or rabbis in this time would not have taught the women. But as we've seen throughout the Gospels, this fall and in the winter, Jesus was not afraid to teach the women around him. So Mary leaves the home, followed by the mourners who think she's headed toward the tomb. And now a group is gathered at the village gate. Falling at his feet, listen to Mary's first statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does it sound familiar? 
because it should. It's word for word what Martha said. And sadly, when my own heart is full of complaint, so is my mouth. And so everyone in my household hears probably the same complaint over and over and over again. So we can imagine that Martha has been making this statement out loud over and over and over again. Where are you? Where is he? We've called him. He could do something. He could heal our brother. Um, So there is, um, we see in this complaining that this is reverberating in Mary's head and comes out of her mouth, but her posture is very, very different. She falls at his feet and she weeps. She surrenders to the one she trusts. Once again, we see this belief and unbelief tied together. And so what is Jesus' response? Jesus weeps. Jesus enters into Mary's vulnerability. But it looks very different. Her tears look, or Mary, his tears and Mary's tears look very different, even than our own tears. Tish Harrison Warren writes in her book, Prayer in the Night, Jesus wept as one with hope, but his hope did not diminish his weeping. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus knew that he was about to raise him to life again, but he still made time for grief. He wept. He made time for grief. He could have diminished Mary's tears and moved on to the miracle. They could have gone onto the tomb. He could have left her, even left all the mourners there and gone and done the miracle, raised her brother from the dead and sidestepped the mourning. But he took time to cry. And why? He is weeping with his dear friends at the loss of their brother and the one that he loves. He is sharing their sorrow to the fullest extent and his tears express quiet grief. We are at our most vulnerable in a place where we cannot control our emotions and hold back our tears. Sometimes, as an adult, tears feel shameful. Often, I feel like I apologize for tears. I don't know if y'all feel that way. Why does it feel embarrassing? Jesus showed his vulnerability, too, and quietly wept beside Mary. Part of me wonders if he bent down. And knelt, at his, and knelt at his feet to look into her eyes, seeing her naked pain and sadness. There is consolation when a friend can weep with us and not turn away. He brought dignity to this process of utter helplessness. He meets us in the most human of emotions, the disorientation of mourning. He knows this season of loss and sadness is critical to our own spiritual and emotional well-being. Sometimes I feel like suffering in the South is an odd mixture of Stoicism and Christianity. Growing up here, there was always the sense that it could be worse. And I don't know if y'all feel that way too. Whenever I had a splinter as a child in my hand or feet or whatever, and my tears would start flowing, and I know I was overreacting, my mother would always chuckle and say, I can't wait until you have a baby. You don't even know pain. <laughs> uh, and even as an adult, I constantly compare my present sorrow with others. Um, while my childhood pain did need to be put into perspective, a splinter is momentary, 
It was often, um, my pain was often minimized. It will be okay was possibly the most benign statement um, in my home, but it became a mantra. And I still operate out of this belief system that sadness should not be wasted on the small crises of my life. So I've been given moments with my own children through the years, broken relationships, COVID lockdown and loneliness was really hard um, with my daughter and our family, and even the death of my son's dear friend. And I've tried to stay present and to listen and to cry with them. And with the Lord's gentle leading, I think I have allowed them space to work through sadness. But sadly, though, um, confronted with my parents' own tears this Christmas vacation, I realized that my knee-jerk reaction was what I learned as a child. I wanted to give them answers and make the pain go away. I wanted an antidote, something to neutralize the pain that they were both feeling. I didn't cry with them. I gave them empty words. But the Lord gave me a very unique opportunity um, to redeem this, not necessarily with them, but the beginning of January. Um, and many of y'all are probably familiar um, that Ruthie Dickinson, um, a dear, the daughter of a dear friend of ours, is um, struggling through leukemia and is doing well um, in these first 30 days. Um, but that first day was um, a moment of being completely disoriented and showing up. Um, and there was a group of us who were able to be with her and their family that first day in the hospital. Um, but Carrie stayed that night and stayed by herself um, with Ruthie. And that next morning, I keep my phone um, silenced all, all through the night. And I think there are only like three numbers that can come through and I get, can get text messages or, or calls. And um, I'm a late riser, I don't get up till seven. Um, but at six o'clock, I received her text and it woke me up. And I don't know how to explain that. Um, but she called and said, will you bring me coffee? And so I immediately got up and started getting clothes on, ran to Starbucks, ran up to Presby, and had my tray, you know, walked in. And um, she took the tray, kind of put it aside, and looked at me with tears and said, will you just give me a hug? And just feel lonely. Um, and it just was a moment that was a gift from her for her to share her tears with me. And it was um, hopefully, and I have spoken to her in order to share the story, but I think it was a gift for me to just be present. Um, and sometimes that's hard, um, whether it's busyness or um, stoicism, it's hard to be um, present with our friends and in the tears, but it is such a gift. So when I asked to teach on this passage, I, I did envision the crux of the teaching would be Jesus' humanity and his tears. But the more I read the two interactions, his interaction with Martha um, really started to resonate with me. Um, 
when, so when we left her, she was suspended between her unbelief and her belief. And she asked Jesus, why weren't you here? But she knew that she would be given whatever she was asked. Jesus replies to her, to Martha, your brother will rise again. And thinking that he means in the future, at the end times, Martha responds, I know he will rise again in the resurrection, which was actually a doctrine that many of the Pharisaical Jews did believe, that there would be a resurrection in the future. But here Jesus takes it to the next level and connects the resurrection to himself. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We believe this. In this I am statement, one of many in John, but one of only two spoken in private, both to women. There is the echo of the Lord's revelation to Moses. When Moses asked him for his name, the Lord replied, I am who I am, and added, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Jesus invokes this holy name of God again and again. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And how do we hear those words today? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for Martha, for Mary? In the book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, Rebecca McLaughlin writes, In this moment with Martha, Jesus claims that faith in him can conquer death itself. Martha's trust in Jesus is not just a means to an end to bring her brother back. It is the source of her own life as well. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the source of our life? Where do we feel our life is entombed in hopelessness. Where does the Lord say to me repeatedly, Ashley, Ashley, you are upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Martha is the busy one, and so am I. Martha is the worrier, and so am I. Martha is the complainer, and so am I. And Martha carries unbelief and belief, and so do I. And yet, the Lord reveals himself to Martha. He chooses to share with her personally. He knew she needed to hear these words of revelation from him individually. He knew she needed a personal encounter with the Messiah, the Son of God. This has profound implication for the Martha that sits before you. Jesus does not offer me an antidote to my pain or a way to neutralize my pain, a way to make it go away, he offers me himself. So I picked the word courage this year. I don't know if y'all do that um, year to year. Um, And if you struggle with worry, your world can often become very small or very tidy or very manageable. And courage felt like a good word for me um, to learn how to be brave. I can easily build fences to create safety from others, and I kind of become entrenched in routines. Courage means the ability to do something that frightens one and the strength in the face of pain or grief. Resurrection in life means he is making all things new in me. 
And courage means facing my pain with his strength, living out of this truth and waiting for his return with hope. But in the meantime, I know he will show up, enter into my pain, and personally reveal himself to me over and over and over again until his coming in glory. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for their old order of things have passed away. I am making all things new. He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now we are finished.